Now we got a page numbering issue because we got new liturgy books and old liturgy books. But there's something with Roman numerals, a page that says the service of Orthros, and then it says the great doxology. Do the old books have that too? Yes. This is on Roman numeral 2. I don't know if that's everyone else. Okay. So I'll just tell you briefly because the, the great doxology is kind of like an interlude. Uh, you go to a performance and you go to the inter, you have the intermission. Great doxology is kind of like an intermission. Uh, while it's listed here as part of orthros, it's really kind of neither. Neither orthros nor liturgy. It's just something that we insert in between the two. And that's uh, what you'll hear the choir singing if you come on time. You'll hear them singing this. If you don't come on time, then you won't hear this. Okay, so now we'll turn to page one. Or maybe page two. Who prefers page one and who prefers page two? You'd have to look at your books to know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Who'd like to read page one? And who'd like to read page two? Oh, we don't have a lot of people interested yet. Okay, so the odd numbers are pages in Greek. So uh, I might accidentally say page one, I mean page two. And likewise, as we're flipping through, just go to the the next even-numbered page. What? Oh, in the old books, it's one and one. Oh, that's why it's confusing. I've got the new book. So... That's a good question. Why don't you just hang on to it until they come around again? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so that, that didn't make sense then. So if you're in the old book, it's page one and one. Um, how many of you know any Greek? Anyone? Okay, good. So this will be a great introduction. Okay. So <clears throat> the Divine Liturgy... We'll start at the very top. The Divine Liturgy of Our Father Among the Saints, John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople. That's the name of the service. The Divine Liturgy of Our Father Among the Saints, John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople. So Divine Liturgy, we can't talk about the Divine Liturgy unless we talk about what Divine Liturgy means. Okay, so divine, I think everyone knows what divine means. It means of or relating to God. Okay? So, um, what I'm going to do is, because divine is a perfectly good adjective, I'm going to put godly, which is not the correct context, but I want you to think of it as God, as an adjective. Okay? Because these two go together. Okay? So you can put the of God or something like that. But over here, this is Greek. It's two parts. It comes from Laos. Uh, if you want to let's see what Greek looks like. There you go. And then uh, Aragon. Oops. Aragon. Or Ergo. Okay. So uh, what does Ergo mean? Anyone? Ergonomic? Work. Work. So this is work. And Laos means the people. So we've got this adjective of God. We've got people. We've got work. So the best way to translate this is um, uh, 
though, well, let's do this phrase here is the work of the people. Is that big enough or am I writing too small? Anyone? John, can read that? Perfectly clear? Okay. Oh, tilt it. Let's see if it stays. I don't think it's going to stay. Okay. So, uh, the work of the people. That's what liturgy means. But then we've got this adjective on the front. God's work of the people. Hmm. That's confusing, right? Is that door shut? Maybe if we could have it shut. Um, So what this is showing is that even though it's the work of the people, that's what liturgy is, it is other relating to God and God is participating in it. So it's this union between God and the people working together. That's what liturgy is. The union between God and the people working together. So the second part of the title is of John Chrysostom, or of our father and member St. John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople. So um, John Chrysostom, St. John Chrysostom is one of the three hierarchs, one of, the, um, one of our greater saints within the church. Uh, we have many, many of his homilies still retained to this day, hundreds of his homilies and his commentaries on books of the Bible. Um, and he wrote other prayers, and he was a, the, the uh, patriarch of Constantinople, and he practiced monasticism, and many aspects of church life he was involved in. But the reason why this liturgy is called the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom is not because he wrote it all. It's not. Where does the liturgy come from? It goes all the way back to Christ. So Christ, of course, the original liturgy was... the the mystical supper, the last supper. But then immediately after that, the early church was gathering together to have these agape meals and to to break bread. And these are uh, the language of the early liturgy. So you don't just get together and do random things. You actually start having a form that forms. So there were certain words that were said, words of institution, where they're asking the bread and the wine to become the body and blood of Christ. There are different aspects within the liturgy that go all the way back to the early church, to the first century. Yeah. question was, were some of those things done in the Jewish tradition? Yes and no. So the liturgy is unique to Christians because it's the body and blood of Christ. So it's by definition not Jewish. However, much of the liturgy as we go through this and see takes parts from the Old Testament and especially from the Psalms. So some of the same things were being done, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't like Jewish worship. Yeah. So the liturgy um, was one of the earliest forms of worship within the church. And so by the time we get to the 4th century when St. John Chrysostom was was living and walking on this earth, the liturgy was actually pretty well formed, the, the core of it, the parts that we'll get to later on in the service. However... What St. John Chrysostom offered are a number of the substantial prayers within that. So um, when we uh, someday get to the end of this and are able to talk about the liturgy of St. Basil, we can see some of those differences. But if you want to hear some of those differences up front and personal... 
come to the eve of Nativity, come to the eve of Theophany, come to January 1st, the feast day of St. Basil, and then every Sunday during Lent. These are times when we do the liturgy of St. Basil. There are ten times in the year we do the liturgy of St. Basil, as well as on uh, Holy Holy Thursday. But uh, throughout the rest of the year, then we're doing the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. So that's why we'll focus on this, and that's why we have this. Um, St. John Chrysostom, again, he lived in the 4th century, um, and his life was a life of great prominence and then also of of great uh, persecution. Both existed in his life. And so he, he, because of his strong words about following the Christian path and the, the empress not following that path in the way that she acted and dressed, um, she got, he got out of, uh, out of sorts with the empress, and so she had him uh, exiled a couple of times. In his final exile, they exiled him out to some distant place, and then that, they decided that wasn't enough because people in Constantinople were still so tied to him, so they exiled him even further. And on that trip to the further place of exile in Armenia, he reposed. So, and his final words were, Glory to God for all things. So, which is a, a well-known phrase in orthodoxy. So the, the liturgy, any questions so far? That's a little bit of the background. We could do much more in all of this, much more on the background and on who St. John Chrysostom is, but we do want to get through this book in a reasonable amount of time. So the very beginning of the, the service is, Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen. And this symbolizes when we say, Blessed is the kingdom... These words uh, represent for us the reality that then takes place. And that reality is that we enter into divine worship in the kingdom of God, the eternal worship that all of the righteous and all of the angels are taking part in. That's what we're entering into. We look around and we see the same four walls and the same people around us. We don't perceive what's actually going on, but this is what's going on. And this is the testament of many of our saints who have had experiences within the liturgy of working, being there in the liturgy with saints, of having angels processing with them. And so this is a reality that we just don't see in our, with our eyes. Um, but that's what we enter into. So we're entering into that final uh, mystical supper, the eternal mystical supper, which is Christ's eternal offering in, in heaven. And that's what those words symbolize. So we step out of time. Uh, Dr. Petitsis, when he came, he talked a little bit about time. So the liturgy would be in Keros. It's in this blessed time, this time that is a gift from God. So... Um, also, we, as we keep that in mind, even though we're not seeing angels around us, the least that we can do is try to not look at our watch, try to not be aware of time, try to immerse ourselves fully in the words that are being said. And because you have a liturgy book, you can follow along with all of those words. And because we say everything in English, that's a, that's a good advantage we have here. Yeah. your children ask you how much time is left, you, you talk to them in terms of what is to occur in the service. Yeah. So it doesn't... And anyway, you know, young kids, they don't even understand time anyway. You could say, oh, it's going to be five hours. And they go, oh. And then you say, it's going to be five minutes. They go, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, just tell the chronology of what is coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard in some liturgies where it starts off with, it is time for the Lord to act. Yes. Yeah, so that's said silently. Yeah, so that's that's a, an exchange between the priest and the deacon that is said, at least in the the, the, uh, the Greek and Byzantine practice, is said silently. In the Russian tradition, I believe that's said out loud. So that's actually what's happening during the doxology. When you see the deacon kneel at the altar right before he comes out, that's what's happening then. So, yeah. And that's using that word. Tokeropiise. It is time for the Lord to act. So it's this time, this keros, this blessed time of our Lord. So, okay. So the, the very first thing that we have next is, In peace let us pray to the Lord. And then again, For the peace from above and the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, the stability of the holy churches of God, and the union of all, let us pray to the Lord. There's a theme, and that theme is peace. So, why do we talk about peace so much? Because in the liturgy, we say it probably over 20 times we say that word. Why do we talk about peace? The original hippies? (laughs) What is it about peace? I've got a... Maybe a little bit of a trick question for you. What is the opposite of peace? You can't say war. You can't say war. Chaos, maybe? It's broader than just chaos. Could be that. What's occurring in peace? Let's talk about people. Tranquility, that's in one person. We're talking about, a, we're, we're seeking peace among multiples. Apathy is within peace? Or the opposite? Perhaps there has to be a, an element of apathy for what is occurring. What? Unity versus division. Exactly. So division, or you could say discord. Now this comes in many different forms. This comes as war, comes as anger, comes as resentment, comes as jealousy, comes as murder, comes as anything. Anything you can think of is all in there. Because peace means unity, oneness. So, like in marriage, they say, the two shall become one flesh, which is, uh, it's a quote from Genesis. And also uh, somewhere in, the, in the, the epistles of the New Testament. Okay, so oneness, unity, is our goal. And if that's not clear to us, the liturgy is telling us that peace, peace, peace. None of this, in all of its forms, every form that you can imagine, that we have complete unity with the person next to us and the person next to them and all the other people that are there worshiping with us and all the other people in every church throughout the world. That's what that is meaning. So, how many of us can say in all honesty and sincerity that we have complete peace, unity, oneness with every single person in our own parish? Your family members are there. We'd love to say that we have unity with our family members, but that's hit and miss. Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. All they have to do is yeah. agree with me. All they have to do is agree with me, exactly. Yeah. 
So that, that's, the, that's the unity that could occur, and that's the unity of oppression, right? <laughs> so, and, and that is not the unity that our Lord desires. Because He could oppress us. He could say, you must do this. You must worship me. This is, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but this is the source of all evil in the world, is the fact that God allows us to commit evil. That's the source of evil. That God has allowed us and the angels who turned away from Him to commit evil. He could stop that. But if He did, then what? Then we would all be His slaves. We would have no choice to turn away from Him. And if we were His slaves, it might be a nice situation. He might be like a benevolent dictator. But that's not what God wants to offer us. He wants to offer us His love. And He desires in return love from us. He can't get love from us if He forces us to worship Him and follow Him. This is also why God doesn't reveal Himself with big glorious signs to every single person. He's very hidden in the way that He does that. Because you think of that relationship of love between two people. There's a little bit of a dance there. So our Lord will not force this upon us. But this should be our desire. Our desire is to have peace with every single human being and all of creation. That's what we should be striving towards. So, any questions about that? you mean in terms of the, the, the internal monologue going on? I think about, I mean, yeah. I think about this, if I think about that in private unity with Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard for us to have even unity within our own minds because we're divided within ourselves. Yeah. And that unity can only be achieved in Christ. It can only be achieved through Christ. So we can't just turn off the chatter. It's not that easy as we all know, right? So we are asking for peace in a number of different ways. Peace for the whole world. So we're talking about everyone. Not just those who are Orthodox Christians. Because we also add the stability of the Holy Churches of God. And again, because saying peace wasn't enough. And the union of all. Let us pray to the Lord. So very clear, all this repetition. So we'll, we'll move to the next litany. For this holy house and for those who enter it, with faith, reverence, and the fear of God, let us pray to the Lord. So now we're praying for everyone who is here, everyone who is in the, the worship service. For our Archbishop, Eurasimus, for the Honorable Presbyters. Presbyter is a, a Greek word for priests. That's where we get the word Presbyterian. But, um, and it's translated sometimes in the New Testament as elder. So whenever you see elder in the New Testament, just think priest, because that's what it's actually saying. So, but that's what presbyteros means more literally as an elder. The one who has presvia, the one who has uh, prominence. For the deacons in Christ, for all the clergy and the laity. And that word laity in Greek is, I erased it, it's laos. It's laou in this context, but uh, laos again is the people. Let us pray to the Lord. So we've included the entire world. Everyone who's in the church, all of the extended church, the hierarchy and the the clergy and all the people in the church out there, and now for our country, the president, all civil authorities and our armed forces, let us pray to the Lord. 
So now we're praying for everyone in our country. We're praying for our civil leaders. Yes, that's right. We are praying for our civil leaders. I said this when the last presidential election happened. We as Christians have to sincerely and in a heartfelt manner, not out of anger and bitterness, pray sincerely for Barack Obama and then pray sincerely for Donald Trump. Who can do that? Right? Who can do that? But that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Because whether we like the person who is in the office, God has allowed for that. God has allowed for that. Some, depending on your political persuasion, might say, oh, God ordained that this person became president. Yay! But we have to accept that anyone who is in that role, and in any of our, all of our civil authorities, God has allowed for that. So we pray for them. So, and for our armed forces, let us pray to the Lord. Any questions? So far? What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they all need our prayers. Those who we dislike, you could say even more. But I would venture to say it should be our goal to not dislike at all. We may disagree with the things that an elected leader is doing, but dislike, what is that? Except that's this right here. This extends to our president and to our civil authorities and to our armed forces everywhere. So you had a question or comment, Mama? The old book, uh, the, the book note says this petition depends on the situation in which the faithful find themselves living. Yeah, that footnote's in the new book as well if you want to read that footnote in red. So what that's saying is when you go to Greece, this says um, our king or our, our, I don't remember the exact translation, but like our royalty. Uh, I don't know if they've updated it to say prime minister, but it's just simply saying whatever form of government you have, they receive the prayers. So. They basically for our national government now. Oh, they did change it to our national government. The older one said something about royalty, yeah. So, any other questions about that? Okay, continuing forward. So the, the next litany, so we've talked about all the leaders in our country and all the military in our country. For this parish and city, for every city and land, and for those whom faith dwell in them, let us pray to the Lord. So again, we're starting small, going big. This parish and city, every city and land, that's everywhere. So we're praying for everyone, everywhere. So I mentioned in the last week about in the preparation for the liturgy when the, the bread and the wine are prepared and they become the gifts that are offered on the altar. That's representative of the body of Christ. So in that we commemorate only Orthodox Christians. But in the liturgy, do we pray for non-Orthodox Christians? Of course. We pray for the entire world. So... Then the next, for temperate weather, abundance of the fruits of the earth, and peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Again, we've got peace again. But also, this is a, a, a litany that shows us how far removed we are from many centuries of human beings. How much does weather affect our livelihood? It does somewhat. Yeah, we've got, we got a sailor here. Merchant Marine, so yes. Uh, so, but... Uh, this, this would be a litany that would be just so important to the people who are farming. And now we probably know very few farmers or, or farmers that are doing that for their living. So for temperate weather, for abundance of the fruits of the earth, because God provides the bounty. 
And this is why throughout the year we have different things that we bless in the church. We bless grapes on transfiguration. Um, we bless, uh, we bless the, the blessed bread that we just had, the Artoclasia, is another blessing, where we ask him to multiply these uh, wheat, wine, and oil. Um, I'm blanking there. Other, we bless the eggs at Easter. Uh, there's another one I'm thinking of, but I can't remember. So we have a number of blessings for things. Um, and this is a continual, perpetual blessing within the liturgy. And then next we turn to those who are in specific situations. For those who are traveling by land, sea, and air, the sick, the suffering, the captives, and their salvation, let us pray to the Lord. So, and air must be relatively recent initial. And air is recent, so that's right. Which is interesting because the, on the left side, that's uh, patristic Greek, you could call it. So it's kind of an amalgam between uh, New Testament Greek and ancient Greek. And so when you now have something like traveling by air that didn't exist, how do you convert that into this patristic Greek is an interesting question. But they came up with a word. So, um, and... So the other thing also we notice there is the sick, the suffering, and the captives, what are we praying for? For their salvation. Of course we're concerned about them being freed, or in the case of those who are sick, being freed of their sickness. But what's the more important thing? That they are saved. That they receive inherit eternal life. And it's no accident that that's connected between these people and salvation because through these things, salvation can be enacted. Specifically through enduring sickness, through enduring captivity. This is what we see like in, um, in Romania and in many of the, the communist countries. These deeply, deeply faithful people because they came out of that kind of oppression. And when we live in a place where there is uh, just a shadow of that kind of thing, we could say that we're oppressed as Christians here in America, but it's not the same. Uh, we have a much harder time pursuing salvation as a result of that. So, it's just a little commentary. How are we doing on time? I think they started late, so... Three minutes? Okay. Three minutes, here we go. So we got through this first litany. For our deliverance from every affliction, wrath, danger, and necessity. So now we're asking very specifically for outcomes within our own lives. And notice that's put at the end. We've been praying for other people mostly through all of this. And now we're saying at the end, please deliver us from these things. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and protect us, O God, by your grace. And then at the end of every litany, virtually every litany, we have this little paragraph. Remembering our holy, immaculate, most blessed and glorious Lady, the Theotokos, and ever-Virgin Mary, with all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another in our whole life to Christ our God. So this is worth pondering because we say this every litany, or the priest or deacon say, say this. So the first word there, remembering, is the word numenavsandas in Greek. And... Um, I'll try to transliterate it. Numerosandas. It's an easy word to say, right? Okay. So um, this word is a very rich word in Greek. And in English, when we do remembering, 
how many of you have come from other Orthodox traditions or other Orthodox churches and visited or been to? Okay. So this would be one of these things that is commonly translated in different ways. So in our book it says remembering. In other books it says calling to remembrance. In other books it says commemorating. And so you might look at all those translations and say, well, what is this word? And why are we confused about what it means? Um, so this is the same word as when we have a memorial service. Okay? Uh, Mimosinon has the same beginning. Okay? Um, and what this word means, uh, I think calling to remembrance might be a more helpful description of it. But we can describe remembering in this way. When we talk about remembering... It's like, I don't have a chair here. I'm just sitting here, and I'm pondering, and I'm thinking about something. It's an intellectual activity. And that's not what this word is saying. What this word is saying is bringing them to the present, to my present, in front of me. That's what this word is saying. So when we just read that as remembering them, it's like, oh, let's think about them. Okay, it's not that. It's actually, you're actually boldly asking God, bring them here in front of me. That's what we want. And so uh, that's what this word properly is understood. So how do you translate that in English? Not very easy. So all, I would say generally all of the translations are trying to get at that in some fashion. So, um, and, uh, so then we get to remembering our, our holy, immaculate, most blessed and glorious lady, the Theotokos and ever Virgin Mary with all the saints. So we are asking for the Panagia and all of the saints to be present, to be in our lives. That's what we're asking of God. But why are we asking that? Because this is all a dependent clause. Everyone yeah, remember what a dependent clause is? It means you can't stop the sentence there. It has to keep going. There's something that it depends on. So why do we say all of this big long part? To get to the meat of it, the other verb. What is it? Commend. And again, commend is uh, not commonly used. How often do you say to someone, commend? Usually we say, like, I commend you, but still that wouldn't... That's not what this is saying. So um, this is also translated as commit, but the idea is that you are um, uh, putting into service, if you can imagine that. So... Uh, let us commend ourselves, so let us put ourselves towards this, and one another, and all our whole life, to Christ our God. So how do the two parts of the sentence relate? Because I could just say to you, let us commend ourselves and one another, and all our whole life, to Christ our God. We're asking for extra help. We need the help, yeah. We're asking for extra help. So we're saying... Bring them into my life so that I can do this thing that is central to my life, which is commending my entirety to you. So there's a lot of there's also a lot of um, uh, what do you call it where it's uh, making it more emphatic. Because let us commend ourselves, yes, and all our whole life. So it's being very emphatic about the the outcome of this to Christ our God. Any questions about that? Yeah. Um, might it also be to identify ourselves with the heavenly hosts we've already used? With the saints? Yeah, yeah, there, there, there's definitely an implied unity in there. 
an implied unity because we're asking for them in our lives. So we can't have them in our lives and then uh, be doing things that are different from the way that they would. So there's an implied unity within that, yeah. So any other questions? Okay, so we'll just do this last prayer. Are we at time already? Oh, good, okay. Let's finish with a prayer. I have a prayer in mind. It's right in front of you. Please rise. The Lord our God, whose power is unimaginable and glory is incomprehensible, whose mercy is immeasurable and love for mankind is ineffable, in your kind-heartedness, O Master, look down upon us and upon this holy house, and grant us and those praying with us your rich mercies and compassion. For to you are due our glory, honor, and worship to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Thank you, everyone.